Welcome. I've got a sure enough, or sure enough, as they say in Georgia, treat for you guys today. I was able to snag an interview with Dr. Philip Nothaft out of Belfast, Ireland, who teaches out there. Uh, he's also an associate at Oxford College, and he approaches the subject of Christmas and the December 25th date and etc. from a strictly historical or historian approach. So, you can get your popcorn or put your thinking cap on because you're going to need it. Uh, this guy is highly intelligent. You can listen to what he has to say, and I thought, what better way to be educated than to talk with somebody who knows uh, the subject better than myself and better than uh, most of the general public. So, without further ado, here's Dr. Philip Notheft. All right, good day to all you brothers and sisters out there. We have a special guest, uh, Mr. Philip Nothaft, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, from Belfast in Northern Ireland. We're going to discuss some aspects of uh, the holiday, Christmas, with Dr. Nothaft, and specifically the December 25th date. I've been researching this for many years now and decided to go back and refresh my memory on some things, and I kept coming across his name. I read three of your articles, um, one from 2011 and then from 2012 and then from 2013. I've read those three articles probably in the past couple of weeks and really appreciated the work that you did there. Uh, before we get started, Philip, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, in the simplest terms, I'm an historian who deals mostly with the history of knowledge in the pre-modern world. So it's pretty broadly conceived. I'm interested in the history of science, but also in the history of philosophy and theology and scholarship more broadly. And I really look at something like the history of Christmas from this angle. I'm interested in what Christian scholars way back when believed or what kind of arguments they made and the basis on which they made these arguments. That's them trying to get a better understanding of, essentially. Now, I noticed when I looked you up, you work there at Oxford College or somewhere in that area? Or? Yes, um, I have an appointment in at Trinity College Dublin, but I'm also a fellow of, of All Souls College in Oxford. Okay. The first thing I want to ask you is about uh, when Christians began to theorize a date for the birth of Christ. Uh, what has your studies led you to find in that area? Well, it's difficult to be exact about these sorts of things, but it's fairly clear that by the end of the second century of the Christian era, uh, Christians have begun to investigate these questions, to speculate, to propose different traditions or different uh, potential dates for the crucifixion of Christ, but also his conception and his birth. And, and the first source to really shed light on this properly is, is Clement of Alexandria in his Miscellanies or Stromates, where he, uh, first of all, proposes a date for the birth of Christ, which is already in winter, according to him, at least implicitly. Uh, he proposes or he reports various opinions on when Christ died, but also uh, reports various opinions as to the date of his conception, which all uh, are spring dates, so they're close mm. to the date his death, their Passover dates probably. It's hard to say because they're all expressed in the Egyptian calendar. The thing is, there are certain ambiguities when you read these Greek uh, Christian authors, uh, the ones who write in Greek, because the term uh, genesis, which just means beginning or origin, technically could refer either to the birth of a person or to the conception. But mm. uh, Thomas Schmidt, who's a scholar who put his PhD in jail a couple of years ago, uh, he published this article where he argues, I think, quite persuasively that usually the conception is being mm. referenced in these Greek texts when they talk about Jesus. So based on that assumption, I think that uh, Clement already documents the existence of a tradition 
of assuming that Jesus was conceived in spring. And of mm. course, corollary to that is that he was born in winter. That was already a thing at the end of the second century. And of course, by the beginning of the fifth century, that has become pretty much canonical. That's almost universally shared the assumption of a spring conception and a winter birth. It wasn't the only game in town throughout this period. From the middle of the third century, we have a Latin text which assumes that what is really, what is really, uh, what coincides would be the birth and, and, and the crucifixion of Christ. Uh, so we have this Latin author in 243 who uses calendrical cycles to uh, essentially reconstruct when Passover would have happened in the year of the Passion and also in the year of Christ's birth because he assumes that the, the, both the birth and the death happened at Passover. And he comes at, uh, he arrives at the conclusion that Jesus was born on March 28th, which is an important date for this author because he also comes to the conclusion that the sun was created on the fourth, on, on the 20, on, on March 28th, which is of course the mm -hmm. fourth day of creation. So to right. him, uh, the conclusion is that the sun and Jesus share a birthday and he uses some, some Old Testament vocabulary referring to, to Christ as, as the son of righteousness. Uh, so there's a certain solar symbolism which ties in with this idea that, that there is the same date applies to the birth of Christ and, and the creation of the sun. But uh, overall, you know, by the fifth century, as I mentioned, they yeah. have a spring conception as a winter birth as a very widely shared uh, assumption. And then we have two dates by that point in time, uh, which are widely uh, circulating uh, 20, December 25th and January mm -hmm. 6th, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, nowadays, the only church or the only branch of Christianity which still holds to January 6th as the birth date of Jesus is the Armenian church. Uh, mm -hmm. But in late antiquity, that was still a bit more widespread, especially in the East. Now, the document that you mentioned from, I think it was 243 AD, is that, and, and I'm I'm not good on, on Latin, so you can correct my pronunciation, but is that something called the De Pascal Computas? Is that's that exactly. what you're referring to yeah, there? Exactly. That's De Pascal Computas, and that is a North mm -hmm. African text, which is ascribed to, to St. Cyprian. That's probably not very reliable, but it's probably a North African text, yeah. Is it ambiguous as to whether the conception or the birth of Christ is being talked about in that particular document? In that one, it isn't because uh, okay. it's the Latin word nativitas, which can only mean ah. uh, nativity or, or birth. However, what I suspect is possible that um, this is somebody who is maybe influenced by an earlier Greek text where the word genesis might have been used for the conception, but it's then interpreted mm. by this Latin author as meaning birth. As that, that's quite uh, that's a hypothesis that we can maybe consider. But if you just you look at the meaning of the word, he refers to the birth. And I understood you right. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. That you understood uh, Clement of Alexandria to be speaking of the conception when he gives the dates uh, based on the Egyptian months there in his Stromata. Yeah, when when he refers to spring dates. Uh... I think he refers to conception dates that have been proposed right. by earlier Christians. He okay. himself also proposes a birth date. He specifies the precise number of days, months, and years between the birth of Christ and the death of the Emperor Commodus, who was the last emperor, the last emperor who died before he wrote this text. Sure. And but based on that interval, we can we can infer that uh, he already considered that that the birth of Christ happened in winter. So, as far as you know, there is no. Uh, record of anybody discussing dates for the birth of Christ prior to around 200 AD. Is that correct? Uh, no, nothing that we could be confident about, I would okay. say. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to something in Luke chapter 1. And after I read those three articles that you wrote, uh, Dr. Nothat, I remember that I saw you on a documentary 
mm. called The Christmas Question. <laughs> I think it was a couple of years ago or something like that. Yeah. Saw your picture on one of the articles and I was like, I think I remember that guy. And so then I went back and looked at the documentary and I remembered that you had commented some on Luke 1 and the course of Abiyah um, when Zechariah, uh, the father of who would become John the baptizer, served in the temple there in Luke chapter 1. Is there anything that we can ascertain based upon the information we're given in Luke 1 about the course of Abiyah? Is there anything we can ascertain about the timing of the birth of either John the baptizer or Jesus of Nazareth? Uh, it, it's pretty tricky. Um <laughs> the thing is, we, we know too little about the precise way in which these priestly courses succeeded each other. It's, it's clear that there's a, there's a cycle, right? And they officiate mm -hmm. in turn, uh, and there are 24 of them. And according to Josephus, uh, who's, of course, you know, st still pretty close to you know, the, the period that we're interested in, uh, they succeeded each other on a weekly basis. Uh, each mm -hmm. course officiates from Sabbath to Sabbath. Uh, the question is, was this really consistently applied or did they maybe reset at the beginning of each calendrical year? And how many interruptions to this cycle might there have been uh, between, let's say, the birth of Jesus or the conception of John the Baptist on the one hand and the destruction of the temple on the other? Because sure. the modern scholars who try to reconstruct the, you know, these events described in Luke 1, they usually start with, the year 70 AD, which is the destruction of the second temple, because there's a Talmudic or pre-Talmudic tradition, according to which um, the, the first of the priestly courses was on duty on the ninth of the month of Av, when according to tradition, the destruction uh, occurred. So if you take this at fa face value, you have a starting point for a calculation, but there are still so many variables that you can yeah. second guess uh, that it's really hard to come to a definitive conclusion. Uh, I mean, one thing one can say is that some modern mm -hmm. scholars have tried their best to come to a conclusion, and, and some mm -hmm. of these conclusions actually support the winter birth as well, assuming that there's a 14 or 15 month time window between the conception of John the Baptist and, and the birth of Christ. The document you mentioned that mm -hmm. talks about the ninth of Av, what, how do we date that document? What year was that from? It's, it's a Jewish tradition. I think the earliest mention is in the Seda Olam Rabbah, which is a second century uh, chronicle. It's a bit difficult to see when exactly that okay. that text originated, but it's sort of the basis for, for rabbinic Jewish uh, historiography, chronography, really. So it's slightly pre-Talmudic, is from the Mishnahic period, very, very roughly speaking. And I think you already find that tradition in there, and then it's repeated in later rabbinic sources. Right, right. Okay. And there were, what is it? First Chronicles 24, I think, talks about how that there were 24 courses mm -hmm. of priests. And I think there's a text in First Chronicles 23 that mentions the same thing as Josephus, where they would serve from Sabbath to Sabbath. I think Josephus says eight days from Sabbath to Sabbath. Mm -hmm. um, but I've read so many articles on this recently, and some people say that they would pause during the three major festivals because all the priests would serve while they were in Jerusalem. And then the courses would pick back up after, uh, you know, Passover, Pentecost and Tabernacles. Um, but then, you know, you have intercalation at the end of the year. You have Adar 2 on the Jewish calendar and you wonder if the courses just continue to go. Do they restart at the first of the year? And I, I haven't been able to pin anything down. Yeah. Pretty much exactly what you just said. <laughs> yes, uh, these are some of the problems we face. Intercalation is another one that I could have mentioned. And it's just the question of, is, is this, a, is it just the weekday cycle or does the calendar also play a role in regulating which course is on duty at which given point in time? There's 
at, at this stage, it's a bit up for grabs, right? Different yeah. people have different opinions. What I propose, right, as part of my sure. uh, research is that some early Christians ignored the fact that Zechariah was a member of the Abia priestly course, but instead mm. assumed incorrectly that he was a high priest because we have quite a few sources which uh, either just allude to that or, or, or outright state that he was the high priest. Uh, and of course, if that's your assumption, then it's very tempting to assume that this whole scene in Luke 1 takes place uh, on Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement, that gives you a Jewish calendrical date, the 10th of Tishri, and you can, of course, tell when, roughly speaking, uh, relative to the Julian calendar, that that would have occurred, namely in late September, early October, and that too would get you to uh, uh, the assumption that, that Christ was born in winter, and I think that might be the reason why, quite early on already, in the late 2nd century, you have this opinion that the birth took place mm. in winter, and then at some stage, they, they fine-tune that theory by settling on a date, which eventually is, of course, December 25th, and we can talk about the reasons for that as well. But sure. I think it's not unlikely that maybe this slight misreading of Luke 1 could have given rise to this tradition. I mean, there mm. are other possibilities as well, right? I'm, I'm not putting this forward as the definitive truth, but just looking sure. at the source of this one possibility. Sure. Yeah, I appreciate that. What about Luke chapter 2, verse 8? It was very popular for me to hear uh, from people uh, that I kind of grew up around. Um, I grew up around a lot of people that didn't believe that Jesus was born on December 25th. And one of the things that they would point out in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, is that uh, there were shepherds in Bethlehem yeah. keeping watch over their flocks by yeah. night. It's become a very popular argument. As a matter of fact, a lot of the older commentators like Adam Clark and John Gill, uh, they would talk about this uh, and say, like Adam Clark says, uh, the the winter nativity should be disregarded on these on these grounds. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I noticed that as well. That in if you go back to earlier scholarship, uh, that passage was used uh, as a basis for argumentation. I think it's fallen out of favor to do anything with with that indicate with that you know potential seasonal indication because mm -hmm. if you look at the, the microclimate in Judea. It's really hard to say whether there is an, an appropriate time for shepherds to herd their, their flocks outside. Uh, that yeah. could really happen all year round. Uh, I think that's what many people nowadays assume. I mean, I, I used to live in Jerusalem. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can't really tell whether... I, I, it seems to me that a winter birth is just as plausible as any other season just based on that one passage. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of found the same thing, too. I ran across a study. I think it, the, la the guy's last name was Harriman. I don't know if you've read K.R. Harriman. But he he had a section in a, in a pretty long treatise. He had a section about Luke 2, verse 8. And he was talking about, too, how do we know what's cold for us may not have been cold to Bedouin shepherds <laughs> in the first century, you know. So Yeah. Um, so. I mean, you can get very cold uh, for a brief period around, you know, sure. winter in Judea, but not every year. Yeah, yeah, not every year. Yeah, people like to show these pictures with it snowing, you know, in Bethlehem. But then I, yeah. I went and saw some pictures where it's like 50 degrees, you know. <laughs> when did Christians begin to celebrate a feast or a holy day for the birth of Christ? So we talked about the date uh, when they started to theorize about the date of his conception and birth uh, based upon uh, his death. And maybe we can get back to something on that I just remembered. But when did they begin to celebrate a, a holy day or a festival for the yeah. birth of Christ? So first of all, I appreciate the way you asked that question because you, you draw an important distinction, right? It's one thing to assign a date to the nativity of, of, of Christ. The other is to start making that an important event in the liturgical year. And in fact, there must have been at least some, uh, some, you know, some gap between those two 
events because we had some indications that December 25th was already uh, in in the runnings as a potential mm-hmm. uh, birth date very early on in the early third century. It's not entirely mm-hmm. clear, but I think it's very likely. But the earliest indications that we have a feast or at least a liturgical commemoration uh, are from the fourth century. And it's a bit hard to pinpoint that. I mean, there is a so-called chronograph of 354. It was originally a voluminous collection of calendrical and chronological texts of which we only have much, much later copies. But one of the items in this collection is a list of martyrs. And that includes a note regarding the birth of of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem on December 25th. And And a lot of scholars believe that the original version of that list dates from 336 and that has traditionally been considered to be the earliest attestation of Christmas. It's a bit difficult to really set, I mean, we have to be clear, this note doesn't really mention the feast, it just mentions that Christ was born on that date. Um, Interesting. Then you go a bit uh, you go a bit uh, towards the end of the 4th century I mean, one important source is a sermon that was delivered by John Chrysostom in Constantinople Mm. in 386 and the way Chrysostom talks about uh, the Christmas, which at that point was definitely an important liturgical event and the occasion of sermons in church. And he says that this feast on December 25th had, has just been introduced to Constantinople, but it's in fact an old tradition in Rome. Mm. Uh, we don't know what he really means by old, right? How far, mm-hmm. that, how far back that might go, but it's, that makes it plausible to me that it's been around at least since the middle of the fourth century, potentially much earlier. Sure. We also have a sermon, also on the occasion of December 25th, another nativity sermon uh, from mm-hmm. uh, quite probably from a North African bishop named Optatus of, of Milevis. Um, mm. And that, pro- that one has been dated by modern scholars to the, the reign of Julian the Apostate, who reigned from 361 to 363. Mm. Uh, to be perfectly clear, this Latin sermon uh, is not transmitted uh, under the name of Optatus, and it doesn't carry a date. It, that is it, the assumption that it was held by him at that point in time is the result of scholarly conjecture. Very good, very plausible scholarly conjecture, but we have to be careful. But mm. if, if we accept the attribution of the dating of that sermon, then we can be pretty sh- sure that Christmas existed, or at least, you know, again, Christmas in the sense of a liturgical feast on December sure. 20, existed by the 360s. Sure. Have you ever heard of the theory or hypothesis that the document that you mentioned from uh, 354, uh, I heard a uh, a scholar, her name was uh, Susan K. Roll recently, and she mentioned that um, she now thinks that, that it's possible that that was a later interpolation into that particular document because it was listed uh, in a group of bishops in one text or a group of martyrs in another text didn't really fit. Have you have you looked at, at, at that any? Yeah, that is exactly. This is a point where scholars disagree. And uh, okay. to me, I, I don't even know what to think because I think it's, it's just as likely that this is authentic as it as as, as okay. it might have been interpolated. We, again, we have to stress the fact that we don't have any early copies of this chronograph. Uh, the, okay. the earliest complete copy is even early modern, and then we have uh, sort of partial copies that are uh, medieval. But uh, it was there were so many centuries during which you know this original corpus of text could have been manipulated in some way that I find it perfectly possible that it's an inter- interpolation, but uh, on the sa- at the same time, the, the arguments that have been made in this direction are not entirely convincing either. It's a, it's a, okay. a bit of an unknown, and that's why I put the emphasis on the, the sermons by Optatus and of John Chrysostom. These are much better uh, mm. 
much much more solid evidence of the earliest attestation of Christmas than the chronograph for the reasons you just mentioned. Okay, so we do have evidence that Christmas was celebrated liturgically as a feast or holy day mid to late fourth century. Yeah. So nobody was celebrating Christmas as a feast or holy day, let's say first or, or second century, and I guess thir- third century uh, either. What what prompted Christians to uh, create a festival or holy day for the birth of Christ? That's a good question. So here we are completely in the realm of speculation. I mean, I, I would agree with you. It's unlikely that uh, this already was a tradition early on because we have some indications that Christians of the first three centuries were skeptical towards, for instance, the practice of celebrating birthday birthdays, mm-hmm. which was a, a pagan uh, practice or seen as such. There's some indication, for instance, in origin. That, mm-hmm. that, that this perspective existed, and that might have, you know, kept them from from putting much emphasis on the birth of Christ. And what has been suggested many times by by historians is that it was the Christological debates of the early fourth century which might have paved the way towards Christmas, you know, being emph- the, the nativity receiving more emphasis in order to combat, you know, docetism and Arianism uh, and other forms of okay. heresies, which which. You know, denied either denied completely that 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 Jesus was also a man and not just God, uh, or which in other otherwise in other ways de de emphasized the incarnation. Ah, uh, okay, in I order see. To underscore an orthodox Christology, uh, maybe Christmas uh, became you know more prominent. That, that that's one theory that's been you know presented in various ways over the decades. But it's clear. We should be clear. There is no direct source evidence to this effect. I find it plausible, but it's it's hard to say whether it really happened that yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. So, explain to us in a nutshell, if you can. I know this is going to be complicated, but they're popularly called the history of religions theory versus the calculation theory. So, the history of religions theory is the popular theory. I mean, you can hit Google right, and you can pull up all kinds of articles and and websites that talks about how that uh, the Christians co-opted the pagan feast of Saturnalia or Sol Invictus. Um, Explain to us the differences uh, uh, and the the strengths and weaknesses of those two competing theories. Uh, So the history of religion (laughs) theory, um, you know, it's difficult to say whether it's really old or new. Uh, In its present form, it, it essentially developed around the year 1900 in the late 19th, early 20th century. Wow. Uh, and it was pushed by historians who were very, you know, invested in the idea of, of seeing Christianity as one of many religions and religious movements and cults that existed in late antiquity and which all interacted with each other and influenced each other in various ways. That was an attractive idea. And, uh, you know, some historians, you know, in a sense, I'm, that's my opinion, bent overboard a little bit, mm. just, you know, heaping assumptions upon assumptions uh, by arguing there was an important pagan celebration festival feast, whatever you want to call it, on December 25th, which was so popular that in order to you know keep this, this the popularity of this feast from overshadowing or from 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 maybe being too attractive to Christians, I mean, very diverse ideas. Right? One idea is that uh, Christians celebrated this pagan feast as well, and so in order mm. to to keep them from sort of you know going astray, uh, the church. Uh, Proposed its own version of that that feast on sure. December twenty fifth. That's one idea that's been put out there, um, and and the various just variants of it's always about the idea there's a pagan feast which is somehow copied or enculturated or some people use the word hijack right whatever you want to say mm-hmm. the point mm-hmm. is there's not really any evidence of mm. that um, uh, you know 
it sounds like an interesting idea, but there are lots of misunderstandings, I think, about Roman uh, non-Christian religion at that time. And uh, there's mm. often this assumption that the solstice was a highly important event in so-called pagan religions, right, which is sometimes just lumped together in these arguments. And mm -hmm. it's important to emphasize we don't really have much evidence that uh, the solstice was an important, the mm. occasion of an important feast in late antique Rome. The earliest uh, indications that anything was going on on December 25th uh, in non-Christian Roman cults uh, comes from yeah, at the middle and the late 4th century. So it, 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 mm -hmm. it dates to the same period as the earliest evidence for Christmas. And uh, the, the question also arises, why would uh, you know the late antique church have tried to create uh, an alternative to, to a pagan feast, uh, given the fact that most of the time when we read early Christian literature, there's a lot of concern uh, yeah. that there might be too much influence of pagan practices on the way Christians yeah. worship, right? And, and there was a concern to forestall these types of influences. And so it would be out of character, uh, you know, for, for these early bishops and church fathers to then you know, introduce a feast simply because uh, the same date mm. was popular amongst pagans. Uh, so there are many uh, doubtful elements to this history of religions theory. And it's interesting to see that over the past 10 years, really, it has lost a lot of credibility and scholars seem to be moving away from it more than wow. compared to maybe 20 or 30 years ago. At least that's my impression just from reading the literature. And never yeah. mind the fact that it's still very popular, you know, amongst the general population, I guess, if you look at the way, you know, you know these, these things are argued about in social media, you can tell that the history <laughs> of religion theory still has a lot of, you know, cachet, but um, yeah. we just lack the evidence to wow. really make a credible case in favor of it. At least that's my opinion. I was reading Tertullian some the other day, and I noticed that he came down really strong against the Roman festival of Saturnalia. Mm. Uh, as a matter of fact, he would he was rebuking some of his fellow Christians for kind of uh, sneaking over and, and beginning to do some of the customs of Saturnalia. And, and he was just you know really against it. And of course, there are other pre-Nicene church fathers that speak against idolatry pretty heavily as well. So it seems kind of counterintuitive for them to try to want to adopt uh, a pagan date or a pagan feast uh, co-opted at that particular time in, in Christianity. Maybe later on in the medieval period, it might make more sense. But but early on, it doesn't that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me when I was when I was reading that. It didn't seem like Tertullian would be the kind of guy that said, OK, well, we'll just take these customs from the Saturnalia and we'll incorporate them into the festival of the nativity of our Lord. It just didn't seem like something he would do. That's kind of, I think, what you're saying. It, it, it doesn't make sense that early Christianity would do that. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And even after Christmas had become an established liturgical event, if you read the Christmas sermons of, you know, theologians and church fathers of, of, of the fifth and uh, later centuries, uh, they never really mention the existence mm. of a pagan feast that might be going on around the same time. There are mm. very few references. And if they're references, they tend to be just, uh, they just tend to be reference to the solstice, right? So because sometimes people get confused. They, they see a reference to the solstice and think that's a reference to a pagan feast. That's not necessarily the same thing. Mm. Solstice is just a fact of nature, right? And it's sure. associated with, with December yeah. 25th. And that might be part of the reason why this date was chosen by Christians. But to, to make, you know, to, to, there's a difference between being attracted by a solar symbolism that's attached to a date and 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 copying a pagan feast. These are two different propositions, and in in, in the past, they've sometimes been 
uh, conflated a little bit, you know. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned this early on, but since we're on this history of religions versus calculation theory, let's talk about it a little bit more. Hmm. Um, it's become more popular, you said, in the last 10 years or so uh, to for scholars to hold to the calculation theory. And I'm guessing that this has to do with the early Christian writings that date the conception of Jesus in spring. And therefore, about nine months later, approximately, uh, we come to a winter date. Uh, tell us a little bit more about the calculations theory. I mean, I don't know if it's becoming more popular, but I'm, I'm sure okay. that the history of religion theory has become less popular. Among okay. Us. I think that's okay. probably the right way of framing it. But yeah, I think there are two elements to how the calculation theory gets off the ground. The first okay. is that by the early 5th century, we have a tradition not just of, 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 of dating the birth of Christ to December 25th, but also his conception to March 25th and the conception of, of John the Baptist to September 24th and his birth mm. on 24th. These four dates, which, of course, you know, they, they, they hang together quite logically because they're nine months between conception and birth and based on Luke 1, six months between the conception of, of John and Jesus. So there's obviously um, a scriptural basis for these intervals, but the specific dates are the traditional Roman dates of the equinoxes and solstices, traditional mm. in the sense that they go back maybe as far as the introduction of the Julian calendar in, in 45 BC, not earlier than that, because before that the, the Roman calendar wasn't the solar calendar. Mm -hmm. But so we have that tradition where in principle each of these uh, uh, four dates could have uh, or three of these dates could have been derived from just one of them right if you have one of these dates and you count forward your six or nine months you get the other three essentially so that's one element to the calculation theory the other is that if you look uh, back to our the earliest sources we have you see that t march 25th is already at the beginning of the third century, considered to be either the date of the crucifixion or the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, and this date is not just pu uh, pulled out of thin air, but these early Christian authors of the beginning of the third century, they use calculate, they, they use calendrical cycles, they use chronological arguments to try to figure out when Passover happened in, mm. in, in the year of the crucifixion, whatever they thought the year was. And mm -hmm. on that basis, they calculate it was March 25th, either for the Friday of the, res of the crucifixion or the Sunday of the resurrection. And okay. this becomes a very popular and, and often repeated tradition. In the, in the rest of the Roman Empire, it's mostly the crucifixion date. And in the East and later on in the Byzantine Empire, it tends to be the resurrection date. The fact that we have an attestation of March 25th in this role so early on, makes it attractive to speculate that maybe the fact that later on the conception is attested as as uh, as being dated to March 25th maybe has something to do with that resurrection or or passion date and mm. since later sources make it very clear that they believe that the conception and the death happened some, uh, on the same date right they make mm -hmm. it very clear you could speculate that maybe this was already an opinion quite early on especially given the fact that we do have some attestation that early on uh, the birth was, was considered to have happened in winter and the conception in spring. Mm, so maybe mm. early on there was an attempt to parallelize or an effort to parallelize calendrically the conception and and the crucifixion. And since the crucifixion was already dated on March 25th by some scholars or authors, uh, that could have given rise to December 25th. It's not entirely mm. clear that it happened, but we have some indications in the sources. And uh, that's essentially the, the basic idea behind the, the calculation theory. This is how they figured, at least some early Christians figured. Um, is it is it necessarily proof that Christ was conceived on March 25th and born on December 25th? Or do you think it's proof or do you think it's just something that they believed and we can't conclusively say that this is, this is how it had to happen? 
Oh, this is something they believed. Uh, the thing is, of course, that the calendrical calculations that uh, lead, for instance, Hippolytus of Rome to, to put the crucifixion on, on March 25th are based on you know, flawed methods in the sense that these are calendrical cycles that don't actually identify the actual Passover date in any of these mm. years. And, and anyway, I mean, uh, the, the underpinning of the assumption that the crucifixion happened on March 25th is the assumption that uh, the crucifixion happened in 1829. And I think most scholars nowadays would not accept that. They mm. would assume that the crucifixion happened in 8030, maybe 8033, but later than 8029. I mean, there are different opinions out there. This is a, this is a difficult, yeah. you know, scholarly debate. I mean, the basic idea was sound, but the kind of calendrical cycles they used to arrive at these conclusions from our contemporary perspective were flawed. When the early Christians began to celebrate a festival for the nativity of our Lord, do you think that it may have been a lot more simple back then? Um, like minus, obviously, I mean, minus all the Santa Claus and the reindeer and all of that that we have going on today, but minus a lot of the, a uh, lot of the stuff that we see today on top of the commercialism. Do you think they may have just gotten together on December 25th, uh, sang some hymns about the birth of Christ, had a meal, had a prayer, uh, basically a church service. Is that is, would that kind of be a, a very primitive uh, beginning of, of Christmas? Yeah, I mean, all we really have in terms of evidence for early Christmas are sermons, right? It's just mm -hmm. that it seems to be simply the case that the sermon on December twenty fifth is about the birth of Christ rather than about mm -hmm. anything else, right? That seems to be the nucleus of, of Christmas as far as we can tell. And if you look at the Orthodox and Apostolic churches in the East and the Orient, right, uh, Christmas was never really an important festival. It was mm -hmm. throughout the history of these churches really simply a liturgical date. Um, mm -hmm based on the fact that on this day in our calendar, we commemorate the birth of Christ, and there's not that much more going on. There's not that much more in terms of folklore. Um, so, yes, I, I think you're right from what I can tell. I'm not, a, I'm not an, an expert on folklore, but from what I can <laughs> tell, yes, the earliest sort of, you know, 4th, 5th century, 6th century Christmas was really very, you know, limited in its... Yeah. Uh, in the way it was celebrated. You've mentioned the Orthodox Church a couple of times, and I think the Armenian Church. So I've noticed that they celebrate January 6th. I think the Armenian Church celebrates January 6th, Orthodox January 7th, which would still be the eve would be the 6th as well. Um, was that something that was taking place during the time period, like 4th century? We were talking about the sermons uh, from John Chrysostom and, and, and the other uh, bishop or what have you. Was the church in some areas celebrating January 6th or 7th at that time, along with other people December 25th? Yes, the, for, for a while there is a bit of an east-west split. I mean, December 25th quickly becomes the prevalent tradition, but there are churches mm -hmm. in the east, in Egypt, in Jerusalem, and Armenia is, of course, the one place where this really remains the official tradition, where the date of Epiphany uh, was uh, considered to be the date of the birth. And I think that's partly rooted in the idea that Epiphany is also widely attested as the date of the baptism, that the baptism okay. happened on January 6th. And there's some, you know, there's some Christian sources which are very literal about uh, Luke, um, or I think it's, it's Luke 3, 23, Right when mm. Luke writes that Jesus was about thirty years old, and the text is very literally right. He was he was baptized, and he was exactly thirty years old. <laughs> the birth and and the baptism happened on the same calendrical date, and I think that might have been a factor in electing January sixth as the date mm. of the baptism and and the birth of Christ. But uh, by the sixth century, 
Epiphany has fallen out of favor as the nativity date, except in Armenia. And this is really the only church that I know of where this is still considered the birth date. The fact that other Orthodox uh, churches uh, celebrate on the 7th of January is simply an artifact or a simple reflection of the fact that they uh, use the Julian calendar uh. and never wrong with the Gregorian reform. And so there's a 13-year differential between our 25th of December and their 25th of December, essentially. So am I understanding you right that that last point you made about the difference in the Julian and Gregorian calendar, that those particular Orthodox churches would have celebrated on December 25th prior to Pope Gregory's change in the 1500s? Yeah, so That's they, great. I mean, from that point of view that they celebrate on December 25th, they simply use a different calendar. Ah, but the Armenian church would have actually celebrated on a different date, January 6th, even yes. under the Julian calendar. Wow. Okay. That's right. So, uh, the interesting thing is the Apostolic Armenian Church in, in Armenia itself uh, mm-hmm. switched to the Gregorian calendar in the early uh, 20th century. But the Jerusalem branch of the Armenian Church, the so-called Patriarchate of, of, of Jerusalem, uh, still uses the Julian calendar. So mm-hmm. they celebrate on our 19th of January. It's for them, mm-hmm. it's, but in our calendar, it's the 19th. Wow. Wow. Very interesting. Very interesting. Do you think that the two different dates, the December 25th date and the January 6th date, Armenian church, do you think that that could yield um, uh, more credence to the calculation theory in that maybe they were calculating from different dates of conception, maybe a March 25th conception and the early April conception and thus nine months would put different dates? Is there, do you think there's anything to that? There's a little bit of evidence of that. I don't think it's as strong as in the case of December 25th, but yeah, scholars have put forward various, you know, small hints in the sources. Uh, you know, there, there is, for instance, one uh, local solar calendar uh, where uh, the 14th day of the spring month uh, coincides with, with April the 6th. And that could have been the nucleus for then electing January 6th, right, because of this nine-month differential. Uh, and it, of course, is also worth noting that one of the crucifixion dates that has been put forward in modern scholarship is April the 7th of AD 30, which is pretty close, right? <laughs> Uh, sure. Again, if, if you could paralyze that with the conception, then, you know, Jerry is yeah. at least around the corner. But we don't really know exactly when and how January 6th became a date in the liturgical calendar. It's, it's a bit murky. Maybe they were just attaching the birth of Christ to the celebration of Epiphany that was already in existence, maybe? That's, that's certainly a possibility. I mean, according to Clement of Alexandria, the 6th of January was already considered to be the baptismal date of Christ by a particular Gnostic sect, the, the Basilidians. Okay. Um, it, it's hard to say whether this really remained influential since it's, you know, it's essentially a heretical sect from the, from the perspective of, of mainline Christianity. Sure. But, you know, it's interesting to note that Clement already knew this date in relation uh, with the significance of being the baptismal date. According yeah. To yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. I think you've made it clear, at least if I'm understanding you right, that the, the date itself, the December 25th date, you don't think was borrowed from uh, the Sol Invictus that, that came later in Rome or winter solstice uh, pagan festivals or anything like that. Um, am I understanding you right? I don't want to misquote you. but Yeah. yeah. I, I think um, if my personal hunch is based on everything I know. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a confluence of two factors, right? These ca- okay. chronological calculations on the one mm-hmm. hand and also a bit of exegesis 
On mm. the other hand, solar symbolism, right? It's an attractive date ah. because it's the solstice date. But solar symbolism is not the same thing as paganism, right? There's a, there's a mm. homegrown, late antique Christian way of associating Christ with the sun. Whatever we think about this today, to them, this was not a, uh, a holdover from paganism. They had mm. their own sort of Christian solar symbolism, which is quite yeah. much contested in Martin Walrath has documented this very clearly in his work. When you were talking about the solar symbolism, my mind immediately raced to the prophecy of uh, Malachi chapter four, hmm. where it speaks of the son of righteousness. I remember one time I was talking with my grandfather and I told him he was quoting the son of righteousness. And I asked him if he ever noticed it was spelled S-U-N in Malachi four verse two, because he thought in his mind that it was spelled S-O-N. He had only heard it from church you know the son of righteousness and then we went and looked at it and he used the king james version but it said the son the s-u-n of righteousness and so this solar symbolism was even presented by a hebrew prophet probably based upon the, the calendar back in genesis you know ch chapter one with the, the sun and the moon and the stars you know so yes so the one passage you mentioned right is exactly the one that is used on various occasions in early christian literature also in reference to the fact that christ was born on the day of the winter solstice uh mm. at least later on and of course the what the the the, the pascha competence of 243 there this passage is also invoked but there it's invoked in reference to the opinion of this author that Christ was born on the day when the sun was created which in his view was was March 28th but in other sources you have you know, the idea that Christ was the son of righteousness in relation to, you know, this idea that he was conceived on the day of the vernal equinox and then the traditional date of the vernal equinox. The thing, of course, we have to remember, these are just traditional dates. These weren't the actual dates of these solar events uh, anymore mm -hmm. in the fourth or fifth centuries, but they had a certain, uh, you know, they had 